Hebrews chapter 5. Turning to a little bit more serious topic here. If you want to see a distinguished look, check out Norm this morning. Uh, Norm, are you around here? I think he was going to be in... Just when I'm starting to grow it, he starts to cut it. And so he's uh, looking like a cue ball here this morning. He shaved his head. I, it actually looks pretty good. But I think you've got two pastors in midlife crisis or something. What gives her? <laughs> Hebrews chapter 5. This is the second of a three or four part series. And I got to tell you that for all the lightness that I'm coming to you with this morning in the, in, the, in the beginning, I don't recall a verse ever grabbing me the way this verse has grabbed me. This verse has just got me by the juggler here. And it's uh, causing some pretty radical stuff to go on in my life. And I just want to share that pressure with you here this morning. Verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. God hears the prayers of the son reverently submitted to him. God answered this prayer because Jesus' prayer was, not my will but thine be done. That's the prayer that God answered. The way he answered it was by having Jesus crucified. This is a model prayer of a disciple. Father, let your will be done. And use me in whatever way you see fit to answer that prayer. Verse 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. If the Son of God was not above learning obedience by what he suffered, how much less are we above learning obedience through suffering? Verse 9. And once made perfect, once made complete. Jesus had to be made complete. He didn't have to be morally improved, but he did have to be made complete. Once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. All who reverently submit to him the way he did to the Father, he becomes the source of eternal salvation for them. And he was designated by God to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Verse 11. Now, in contrast to all that stuff about Jesus being complete through discipleship and suffering, the author says this. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. You're spiritually dull, he's saying. You've not been made complete. Verse 12. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk and not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk is still an infant and is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves. By constant use have trained themselves. Listen to that. Who by constant use, by the constant application of the word of God that they've heard, have trained themselves. The Christian walk is a training ground. They've trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. They've been made complete. But you folks, he's saying to the Hebrew Christians, you are still infants. You need to grow up. Let's pray. Father, you have just put this word as fire in my soul here this morning. And I pray, Lord, that it would carry, it would go forth with that fire. I pray, Lord, that there'd be nothing lost. The heat wouldn't be diluted in the way that I say it. I pray, Lord, Lord that your spirit who alone can give the fire of your word, 
Lord, I pray that your spirit would be here and saturate us and bless us, Lord God. Hover over this place right now. Father, your heart's desire is to see raised up here a people who know what it is to walk in your ways, who know what it is to be yielded to you, and thereby know what it is to see you work through their life in a powerful way. Lord, I would pray that this word this morning would be used as a means of raising that people up. Convict me, Lord, in the areas that I need to be convicted in. And Lord, convict each one of us in the areas we need to be convicted in. We pray in your name. Amen. And all the kingdom people said, Amen. Amen. Here's what we're talking on. First of all, I don't have... Oh, I do have a clock today. Okay, first of I didn't have a clock. Um, the series I'm calling No Pain, No Gain, because the gist of it is this. We see in the example of Jesus, who's an example for how we're to live, that he was made complete by the things which he suffered. He was, he was made complete for the purposes for which God intended him by what he suffered. He was always innocent. He didn't need to be morally improved, but he did need to be made complete fitted for the work that God had for him, fitted for the kingdom use that God wanted him to be fitted for. And if that is true of the Messiah, it's also true, much more true, of each one of us. If we are to be fitted for the kingdom, if we are to grow in our walk and not be slow of learning, if we are to be open and yielded to have the Lord do what he wants to do through each one of us, we're going to have to come against that American stronghold that each of us are influenced by that says that you have a right not to suffer, that there's something wrong with suffering. Few things are promised to us in life, but the Word of God promises us this, that if we are in fact disciples of the Lord, there will be, involved, there will be suffering involved in our life. That is a thing we should be able to count on. There's no way to go forward in completeness. There's no way to grow in the Lord. There's no way to grow in kingdom work. There's no way to grow in your opening to the anointing of God without coming against the flesh, without coming against the ways of this world, without coming against areas of your life that are not yet yielded. And that always hurts. It always involves a pinch. It always involves a sacrifice. But there is no other way to go forward. Amen? And so the Lord calls us to declare war on the flesh. Not, not there's nothing wrong with your physical bodies, but the flesh is this way of living, the world's way of living in this world. We're to go against that. The Bible says, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5. It's to the point where you've got to know this. If there's not some sort of struggle going on in your life, it may be the case. It may be the case that you've gotten stagnant. Because the way forward... It's through discipleship. Here's what healthy discipleship is about. Healthy discipleship is taking to yourself a regiment, a, a sacrifice, a way of doing something, and sacrificing in order to attain a, a greater goal. That's what di discipline is. You choose to forego something you'd like in order to get something else. You, you choose to forego a lesser good in order to get a greater good. Here's an example. Um, about five, six, seven years ago, uh, for a while, I used to just love to do, I was a, I was a fanatic on running. I loved to run. Um, that was ago, 40 pounds ago. Um, and I don't do that anymore. I've come to my senses. Uh, but I used to love to do this. And I used to run marathons and even ultra marathons. Ultra marathons are anything over 26 miles. It would be like a 30-mile race, a 50-mile race, uh, 
a 100-kilometer race, which is 62 miles. And I love to do that. And I, I, one time, a 100-mile race. I love to run out on trails. I love the feeling of having my body that healthy, where you feel like you could run forever. That, 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 that synchronicity, that harmony that's there. I love that. I love the feeling of being in such control of my body. I love the uniqueness of doing something that less than one one-hundredth of one percent of the people on the planet will ever do. I love the absurdity of it, the sheer absurdity of going out and running 15 miles for no reason whatsoever. It just seemed right. I don't know. Lock me up. But I love that. I love the competition. I love chasing a competitor. Like, uh, especially on a trail race, I felt like a, like a leopard chasing a bunny or something. Then I would, and I, I just, I love that. Stock in mile 40, mile 45. I love confronting the pain and overcoming it. I just got off on that. I love the spiritual dimension of it. When I would run, I, I would get uh, a prayer going in my mind and be my, I'd focus on it. And sometimes I'd feel so close to God. Probably because you're getting very close to death around mile 50. <laughs> It's like the, the Grim Reapers right here, you know. But um, sometimes I'd be so overcome with emotion that I would cry during these races. I'd just feel such overwhelming feelings. And just, I loved it. Um, that was my goal. My goal was to be able to run a 50 or a 60 mile race and to do well in it. I liked winning. You know, I'm fine. It's not all spiritual. It's a little bit of carnal stuff in there. I liked that. That was fun. And I used to be, a, I'd be able to win these once in a while. But to do that, you had to sacrifice a lot. I didn't train as much as most people in these races train, but I had to train quite a bit. And so I'd get up on Saturday morning. Uh, I usually run piddly miles throughout the week, didn't have enough time. But on Saturday morning, I'd get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, go out to afternoon. I'd run for 5 or 6 hours. Me and a bunch of guys would go out there and run for 5 or 6 hours. That was hard. That wasn't fun. That was miserable sometimes. We'd go up and down a hill like 40 times just to get our quads in shape. You think that's fun? No, it was sacrifice. Why'd you do it? Well, because I wanted the goal. I wanted the goal. I wanted to be able to run like that. And if you want to be able to run like that, you've got to pay the price. What is true in a physical realm is also true in a spiritual realm. We're saved by grace, folks. We're saved for free. We're revolutionized for free. We're loved by God for free. Anyone who puts their trust in Jesus Christ is saved eternally for free. But you've got to know this. That doesn't mean that you're transformed automatically. There are kingdom principles that pertain to our life before and after our conversion. And if you want to grow, if you want to manifest the new life that you have in Jesus Christ, it takes discipline. The Bible says that of Jesus that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the sufferings of the cross. He didn't like going to the cross any more than any of us would. Infinitely worse than that, he didn't enjoy the prospect of having the judgment of God come upon him while on Calvary, but he did it. Why did he do it? Because of the joy that was set before him. He knew what the cross would accomplish. He got delighted when he began to think of the millions of people that would come to know him, of the millions of children that he'd have, the millions of sinners that would be made righteous by his blood. So he thought about that. That was a goal worth going for. That gave him joy. And the only way to get that joy was to sacrifice himself, and he did it. That's what discipline's all about. And now hear this. The Bible says we are to do likewise. That is to be the model of our life, to attain the greater good of doing kingdom work, to attain the greater good of manifesting the true life that we have in Jesus Christ. We are to be willing to crucify ourselves, to sacrifice ourselves. Legalism is the opposite of this. Now hear this. A lot of you, you've come from backgrounds where you were beat up with oughts and shoulds and can-dos and better-dos. And so when you hear the word discipline, maybe you flinch, like, oh no, oh no. The good news is over with, and now starts the bad news. 
The truth of the matter is, is that when you say the word discipline, the good news is just getting warmed up. Legalism is a bunch of rules that don't come out of your inner being, out of love, out of a goal that you have. It's a bunch of stuff that comes on you. It's a yoke that's laid on you by somebody else or someone's theology. And it's a bunch of hoops that you jump through in order to get God to like you more. It's a carrot at the end of a stick sort of a thing. Discipline is not about that at all. Discipline is discipleship. It comes out of your being. It's something that you choose to do in order for a greater good. And whereas legalism, a a system of getting right with God through a bunch of oughts and should-dos and can-dos, whereas that binds you and puts fetters on you and chains on you, genuine discipleship sets you free. There is no kind of freedom like the freedom of being a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Churches that either abuse that or churches that never touch that at all are, are in the end cruel because they don't set people free. God wants us free. Discipleship is taking a goal and saying, I want that goal, and therefore I will forsake a lesser good for a greater good. Another way of saying it is this. Jesus said, if you want to find your life, you've got to lose your life. If you lose your life, you're going to find your life. What he's saying there is this. If you want to really want to find out what life's about, you really want to start living. You really want to enter into the joy of living. You want to find out the author of life. Lose your life. Be willing to forsake your life. Be willing to deny yourself. And then you'll discover what it's really all about. You want to get set free. Learn the cost of discipleship. If you want to experience the full glory, the full power of the Holy Spirit, learn how to deny your flesh. There's no other way to experience it. If you want to live full life in Jesus Christ, learn how to cut yourself. If you want, if your goal is to walk in resurrection power, and friends, as disciples of Jesus Christ, there can be no other goal that we live for. If our goal is to walk in the resurrection power, we've got to be willing to listen to what our Lord Jesus Christ tells us when he says, take up your cross and follow me. You've got to be willing to go to Golgotha, go to Calvary. If you're going to enter into the resurrection power, there's no other way to do it. If we are going to walk in the power of God, we've got to learn to be yielded to God. That means discipleship. If we're going to be used by God to do kingdom work the way God wants to use us to do kingdom work, we've got to be willing to submit our will to him. You want to have more of Jesus in your life, you've got to have less of you in your life. If you want to see the glory of God, hallelujah, if we want to see the glory of God, then we've got to be willing to seek his face. If we want to see God exalted in our life, we must be willing to abase ourselves. There's no other way to do it. It's the cost of discipleship, but for the joy set before him, he endured the sufferings of the cross. He learned obedience by the things which he suffered, and he knew that it was worth it. See, our culture's like this. Our culture, and therefore the church of this culture, to too great a degree. We, 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 we've watched too much, too much Bewitched. You know, you've seen Bewitched, uh, where she wiggles her nose and it happens. And, and we think that God is like that. God's a, a genie or something. And we just want to wiggle our nose and, and see it happen. So, so in our culture, we want to just, we want discipleship. There, we want growth. I, 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 here, I want to be, I, I want to mature. But I don't want to, I don't want to pay the price for it. We want divine power. Where is it? Where's God? But we don't want to be yielded to see that power actualized. We just wiggle our nose. We want relationship without commitment. And we want love without relationship. We want the blessings of heaven, but we're not willing to let go of the things of this world in order to have them. Jesus told us that you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve two masters. There's, it's the law of the kingdom. 
It's a, it's a metaphysical impossibility. The only way to grow is the only way to grow is to deny yourself. Is to take up your cross. Is to enter into discipleship. The only way to set free is to find the way to walk, such that the chains fall off you. Think about it this way. The only way for the mustard seed, this is the the, the parable of the mustard seed that Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. The only way for that mustard seed to become a mustard tree and grow like Jesus said is to grow, is to press through that dirt. It's to press through the dirt and find the air and begin to expand, but it's got to go through the dirt. The mustard seed in your life and the mustard seed of the kingdom in this church and the mustard seed of the kingdom in the Twin Cities and the mustard seed of the kingdom in this world, if it's going to grow, it's going to grow by disciples and we'll say, Lord, whatever the cost, whatever the price, whatever dirt we got to push aside in our life, we'll be willing to do that, that the mustard seed can begin to flower in our life and we can begin to see the kingdom of God grow. There's no other way for it to happen. The butterfly is going to come out of a cocoon and fly. It's got to bust out of that cocoon, but that means discipleship. God wants his butterfly to fly. The butterfly is the, the, the new self, the new self. It's, it's the self that God they recreated in Christ Jesus. It's the self that's full of the Holy Spirit. It's the self that walks in the identity of Jesus Christ. That self God wants to fr- set free. He said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. But see, if you want that freedom to come, if you want to fly like God wants you to fly, to be more than a conqueror like Jesus said you could be, to walk in the joy unspeakable and full of glory that the Lord says you have, You've got to bust out of the cocoon. The cocoon is our old way of thinking about ourselves. The cocoon is our old habits. The cocoon is our old appetites. Amen? You follow me this morning? The cocoon is our old way of doing things. The cocoon is maybe our old relationships. And the Lord is saying, for the butterfly to come out, you've got to let go of those things. There's no other way for it to happen. That's what discipleship is all about. But for the joy set before you, take on the cross. And follow Jesus, our example. There's no other way for it to happen. There is, think, think of this. Lord, just let this land how it's supposed to land. Some of you found this even this week in fasting. The power of God comes by people being yielded to God. For the water to flow through the faucet, you've got to unclog the faucet. Anything that's there for the pipeline, anything that's clogging up that pipeline blocks it. The power of God is there, but you know what? It's got, it, it, the, the faucet's got to get unplugged. You know what that plug is? The plug is self. Self. My aspirations, my ambitions, my wants. I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to. If we want to see the power of God unleashed in our life, there has got to be the denial of the self. There's a time when the disciples couldn't cast a demon out of a little boy. Remember that story in Matthew chapter 9? They, they, someone brought to him this, this little boy who was demonized. And they, the disciples tried to cast him out, and they used Jesus' name, and it didn't work. Why? Man, I, we, they, they, they wanted this. Twinkle, twinkle, twinkle. you got to get out, little demon. But you know what? The kingdom of God works on kingdom principles. We're not talking magic here. We're talking reality. So Jesus said, first of all, he said, oh, you faithless generation. Where was the faith? you got to have faith if you're going to come against the enemy. But he also said this. Later on, they asked him, why couldn't we cast the demon out? And he said this, some kind, this kind of demon only goes out through prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. There's something about fasting and any spiritual discipline such that it unleashes the power of God in your life. Because you're getting your priorities aligned. You're beginning to walk as God created us to walk. If you're looking for a reason why in the West, and hear me now, 
If you're looking for a reason why the church in the West has not had the power that the Bible says we can have, that the Bible demonstrates in the book of Acts that we're supposed to have, this is the reason. This is the reason. We say with our mouth that we want to see revival. We want to see revival. We want to see souls saved. We want to see people delivered. We want to see people healed. We want to see Christians set on fire. But the question is this. Are we in a position to let God do that with us? I'm not talking about jumping through hoops to get God to do us a favor. I'm talking about kingdom people orientating their lives where God is the king of this dome. Amen? God is the king of this dome. And there are no more clogs in the pipeline. And the spirit of God can begin to flow through us. But that means disciples making disciples. People who walk in right, right relationship with him. There is no power without cost. People who are willing to say whatever the cost, let it be done. Jesus said this in John chapter 7 verse 39. He says, they who believe in me, out of, their, out of their bellies shall flow rivers of living water. Anyone who believes in me, out of, the, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water, rivers of life, rivers of healing, rivers of salvation, rivers of kingdom life, rivers of kingdom love. But what he was talking about was not someone who simply gives an intellectual assent, saying, oh yes, I theoretically believe in Jesus Christ, and then goes on living as lords of their own life. When Jesus talks about belief, what he's getting at is this. He's getting at someone who says, I believe that you are Lord, and I really believe that you are Lord, so I submit my life to you. And to the degree that we are submitted to him, out of our belly flows rivers rivers of living water, because there's no clog in the fountain. But to the degree that this, we, we keep hold of ourself and our self-will and our self-aspirations, to that extent, the river is there, the water is there, the reservoir is there, but it can't get out. It's like spiritual constipation. Amen. I know what you're talking about, brother. Good analogy. It's there. It's like the Holy, this is what's called grieving the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is saying, I have got so much that I could just erupt with, so much that I could bring, so much I could do through you if you'll just uncork the plug. But the cork is me. The cork is self. The cork is Greg Boyd and everything that Greg Boyd wants on his own. The, Greg, the cork is Greg Boyd outside of Jesus Christ. The cork is Greg Boyd with all of his own personal aspirations and desires. And the Lord is saying, will you please just let me free by denying yourself and then you will find out what life is really all about. Then comes the usher, the gusher of the Holy Spirit. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. The Lord wants to have an eruption of living water here. An eruption of living water. But this is not some cheap, phony, little, let's get happy kind of a message. It's about saying, are we willing to put ourselves in the position where that can happen? It's a hard sell here in America because we like bewitched. Where the Lord says, take up your cross and follow me. What is happening here, folks, though, is this. And I feel this with such an electricity. I don't know if you feel it, but I, I feel it with such an electricity in my gut here right now. That God is in this congregation and elsewhere, but I'm just responsible for this congregation right here. God is creating in some people a profound dissatisfaction. Even a profound repulsion towards churchianity. A disgust for business as usual. A disgust for a pew sitting once a week or twice a year, powerless, passionless, commitmentless, sacrificeless, graceless, impotent kind of a Christianity. A profound revulsion towards that. And are really rather saying, Lord, I want the real stuff. Amen? God's raising up a people. God's raising up a people. Who know what it is to be an army and know what it is to win marching orders 
Because they can see the joy set before them. They see the goods. And they realize that life without this, life that's devoid of kingdom purpose, life that's devoid of kingdom satisfaction, is not life at all. That's just, that's just putting off death. You're just buying time. But before the joy set before them, they're willing to say, whatever the cost, whatever the price, whatever it takes, Lord, not my will but thine be done. Not my will but thine be done. And whatever it takes, Lord God, make me a disciple. And let that living water flow through me, Lord God. Let it fall down through me, Lord God. Hallelujah. I put my trust in you. I submit myself to you. And that's what it is to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I'm not talking about a rule that comes to us from the outside. I'm talking about a reality that gushes up from the inside. And that's when grace starts, that's when the good news starts getting warmed up. Because the good news is this. Jesus just doesn't say, well, you know, let's wash away your sins. Jesus says, you know what, I'm going to empower you to walk out of them. Hallelujah. And live in a new reality. Discipleship, the first area of discipleship that I talked about was, was this. We talked about last week Fasting. Um, this is an area that for all who are physically able, not everyone is, and for all who are spiritually at this place and not everyone is, it is a, a discipline that you can take upon yourself. It's usually identified with foregoing food for a certain period of time. And uh, people, if they ask you, well, can you drink juices or whatever, and you, there's no rules on that. You just got to work it out with God. Whatever God tells you to do, do. But it's fasting from that. Now, some people who couldn't fast physically this week fasted from other things. One person fasted for, from TV for a whole week. That's a good fast. Another person fasted from smoking for three days. It drove them nuts, but they did it. I know that's a good fast. That's probably harder than going without food. If you're really addicted to that, man, that's a, that's a tough go. Um, uh, people fast from other things. But a fast in the Bible is usually, the paradigm of it is going uh, is from food. And it, the testimonies this week of people who have gone through this have been incredible. Basically, it's just, wow. Wow. You see clearer. You hear clearer. You, the things of God just become more real to you. There's something about, and I'm walking this reality right now, and it feels great. I only tell you that just to, as a testimony. Our bodies usually, our bodies usually have such control over us. I want to eat, and we feed it. I want to sleep, and we sleep it. I want, I want, I want to. Little, little toddler, and we, we're always taking care of it, pampering it. And there's just something true, something great, something spiritual about taking this body, which is meant to serve you, you're not supposed to serve it, and saying, right now for a while, you're not going to eat, because I say so. But why? Because I say so. Because you're not my boss, I'm your boss. And see, when you do that, when you do that, it's like, it's like taking the static off of the spiritual radio, or getting the, the, the static off of the spiritual TV, you can see the Lord better, you can hear the Lord better. Because your body's not in the way with all of its cravings and all that kind of stuff. So you just take it and you put it underneath you. And when you do that, you're walking in truth. Because the truth is this. We are wired, we are created so that our will is submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ and our mind or soul is submitted to our will and our bodies are submitted to our mind and the world is supposed to submit to our bodies. That's the the hierarchy. Trouble is we usually walk the opposite way. But there's just something that is activated, a power that is released. I understand now why Jesus said, at least a lot of the early manuscripts have him saying this, that, that uh, some kind of demons can't be delivered, cast out, except through prayer and fasting. There's a spiritual power that comes through fasting. Because you're, you're rightly prioritized. You're discipled. You're not just thinking whatever you want to think, and you're not just eating whatever you want to eat. You've taken on a discipline, and the priority is there. And that unleashes, that unclogs the pipeline, so to speak, 
the arteries, so to speak, so the power of God begins to flow. What I found this week is this. It's something about severing that connection with food. It's like the, the ties that the world had on me weakened a little bit. Maybe some of you felt the same thing. Or it's like this. The, 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 when you deny yourself in whatever way, whatever discipleship you take on, I'm talking now particularly about fasting, the things of this world just become a little less important. Amen? They get a little less appealing, a little less uh, powerful over you. In fact, the things of this world can become absolutely loathsome to you. And by that I mean just the, the way the world does things, the way the world runs the, the, the whole scheme of the whole system of this world that lies about what life is about, the system of buying and selling and getting and acquiring and showing off and displaying, that whole system that, that the world revolves around. When you're in a state of self-denial, when you're in discipleship, you look at that and you, and, and you can see, you can see what you maybe have always believed, but now you see it and that's that. It's empty. It is empty. I've just been the last couple of days seeing the futility of this, the futility of it. You gotta do it. I mean, you gotta earn a living, do it, and then use it for the kingdom. But it's got nothing going for it. it, it the whole thing of what they think life is about and all of that, I don't know. It, it just is, it, it doesn't have an attraction. I don't see what the attraction is now. What I do see is this there's a hunger for the kingdom. And the more, I, when Jesus said, you can't serve two masters, he meant it. When you let go of the mastery of the world and you just deny it, and it hurts, it hurts sometimes, but when you do that, the kingdom becomes more real. The things of God become more real. The priorities of the kingdom become more real to you. Begin to walk in that reality. Begin to hunger for it. I would use the physical hunger as a reminder to be spiritual and to think about the kingdom, and that becomes more real, praise God. What I'd like to do is, 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 is challenge us with this. Um, let us land how it's supposed to land. But I would encourage us for the next six weeks, let's try this, for the next six weeks, I really feel led of the Lord to, to lay this out here. For the next 40 days, six weeks, would you take one day a week, for those of you who are med- medically able and those of you who, who, who feel this is the right thing for you to do, okay, this isn't a prerequisite for membership or something like that. This is just a, 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 an encouragement. But to take one day a week and fast, whatever that means to you, you work it out with God. Um, if possible, I, I'd, I'd, I'd throw this out. Um, take Saturdays and fast all day Saturday up through the service on Sunday morning. Okay, and just do with that whatever you want. But I'm just wondering what would happen if we got here together on a Sunday morning and half of us or more had been fasting for 30 hours. I got to believe that that would be uh, a dynamite kind of thing. Okay, just, just take that. If you can't do it Saturdays, that's fine. That's fine. Try a Thursday. If you can't do it at all, that's fine. You know, just grow into this. But I, want, I, I just felt led to lay that out there. Let me close by offering one other, uh, not offering, but talking about one other kind of discipleship. And this is the discipleship that Jesus went through in the desert when he fasted for 40 days and the devil tempted him. It's the discipleship of resisting sin. The discipline of resisting sin. To talk about that, I need to say a brief word about a concept that's central to the Bible, and that is covenant. You can't understand the nature of sin without understanding covenant. Covenant is this. Covenant is what you do when you get married. Out of love, you commit yourself to the other person, and you lay down your obligations in this relationship. 
God has always wanted to enter into a covenantal relationship with his people. Adam and Eve had a covenant that they were supposed to keep with God. God would watch over them. God would be their savior. God was their creator. God would love her. Their part of the covenant was simply to obey him and not to eat of the tree that was in the garden. They disobeyed that. They broke covenant. After that, God tried to seek a covenant with Abraham and a covenant with Isaac and a covenant with Jacob and a covenant with Israel. And the whole history of humanity is God seeking a loving, covenanting relationship where the Lord says, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will bless you in this way and you will walk in in my ways. That's the covenantal relationship. The first human being and the only human being that ever kept that covenant right was Jesus Christ. That's part of what the Bible means when it says he was made complete by the things which he suffered. There's always testing in covenant to prove that you really mean what you say. There's always testing. There's always trials. There's always temptations. You prove yourself to be a covenant partner by withstanding that temptation. Jesus did that. He was the first human being and only human being to do that. That's why he could say in John chapter 14, verse 30, the devil has no hold on me because I do not sin. There's no grip that he has on me. The Bible says that God took that covenant righteousness. Now hear this. God took that covenant righteousness and gave it to us for free. That's what it is to be made right with God for free. God took the righteousness of Jesus Christ and he imputes it to us for free. He makes us covenant keepers for free. But he doesn't just say you are forgiven for free. That's the good news. That's grace. But he also says this. I put my spirit inside of you. The Bible says this is why the Holy Spirit's called the Holy Spirit. It's a spirit of holiness. God takes the spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and puts it inside of us. So what we need to know now is this. Part of that living water that you have inside of you, part of that living water that, that wants to be expressed in your life is a water of holiness. It's a water of covenant keeping. We are married to Jesus Christ. If you're here and you're a believer this morning, you're married to Jesus Christ. And there's a spirit inside of you that says, walk in right relationship with him. Sin. Anything that is outside of that covenant. Got it? Sin is anything that is opposed to God's will. Sin is anything that is not willed by God, that is not under the kingdom of God. Anything that's out of the domain of God, anything that's out of the domain of his will, is called sin. And the Bible says that we are called to walk in the kingdom of God. We are covenant partners. There is a spirit of holiness inside of each one of us who are believers that says, walk in right relationship with him. The bottom line is this. We grow as covenant keepers. We grow as covenant partners. We grow as kingdom of God people. When we resist the temptation to sin, that's not always easy. Sometimes it really hurts. In fact, it is impossible for you on your own power to ever overcome that. But that's why he's given you the power of the Holy Spirit. It hurts, it pinches, but we are called to do that. And the more you resist that, the more you abstain from that, the more you find you've got that water flowing in your life. That water flowing in your life. You're a kingdom person. That means your life is the dome in which God is king. And as a kingdom person, our covenant has got to be this. Because my life is the dome in which God lives, therefore, I will resist that roaring lion, Satan, that's out there trying to tempt me. I will resist the, the, the spirit of this age. I will resist the spirit of greed in this age. I will resist the spirit of temptation in this age because I'm a kingdom person. I will resist the temptation to lie. I will resist the temptation to cheat. I'll resist the temptation to be greedy. I'll resist the temptation to be selfish. I'll resist the temptation to be self-righteous. I'll resist the temptation to be racist. I'll resist the temptation to fall into anything that the enemy would have me do. I'll resist the temptation towards sexual impurity. 
Because I want to walk in right relationship with him. To the degree that we don't do that. It's a clog in the fountain of the river of life that wants to flow through us. It hurts. It pinches sometimes. It costs us something. But we've been pain here, folks. It is not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Our culture says it's a bad thing. To be sexually frustrated, what a terrible thing. You've got a right to express yourself. You've just got a right to da-da-da-da-da. How terrible that you would be inconvenienced. How terrible. And so we get a church that's, that, that doesn't preach conviction of sin. But that is the cruelest thing you could ever do to people. Because freedom from sin is what Jesus Christ came to set us free from. Amen? amen? Give me an Amen. The Lord is calling a people who know what it is to be trained to walk in right relationship. And Holy Spirit, just pray with me right now. Holy Spirit, I would pray that you would move in however way you see fit and convict in however way you see fit. Right now, saints of God, the first step to discipleship is simply saying this. Holy Spirit, right now, I just, want to, I just feel led to lay this out here right now. The first act of discipleship is submission. And right now, it's to say as the Holy Spirit's working here and taking these words and applying to our life, is there an area in your life that is out of covenant? Is there an area of your life right now that is clogging the arteries? The Bible says set aside every sin that so easily besets you. The Holy Spirit is telling you this morning to set it aside, to repent. And I want to close this way. If you, I'm going to pray and when I'm done, if you want to, if there's something that you need to repent of and to ask forgiveness from, I encourage you to come forward here and just spend a little time up here at the altar. Our culture wants grace without repentance, but you know what? Repentance is the only thing that makes grace meaningful. Amen. Holy Spirit, flow here. Have your way here. Hallelujah. Have your way here, Lord. Do what you want. Clean up your people, Lord. Clean up me, Lord. Hit me between the eyes. Have your own way, Lord. Have your own way. You are the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after your will while I am waiting, yielded and still.